Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Scotty, beat me up. Captain of the USS Enterprise. Fascinating. You have no right to dictate to our Federation. All out in fire. Stand by to receive our transmission. Hi, everyone. It's your friend Rico again with this week's Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Well, it's been a pretty crazy week for me, at least. Uh, personally, work was uh, a little more crazy than normal. Pretty uh, pretty busy this week there, and so it's uh, kind of happy to be doing the podcast uh, over the weekend. It's Sunday, October... 16th right now and it's just good to kick back and relax and talk about uh, what I love to talk about which is uh, Star Trek and collectibles and science fiction. First thing I want to get a a little bit of business out of the way uh, and talk a little bit about a couple of emails that I got uh, over the last week. First, uh, again, I want to thank everyone for listening whether you're getting this through uh, a podcast feeder or you're getting it direct off my website, which is www.treksf.com. Or if you're getting it off iTunes, there's probably a lot of you listening that way. Uh, I, I really appreciate the listeners, and please, please, if, if you enjoy the show or if there's something uh, that you want to talk about or want me to talk about in the future, uh, send me an email or send an email with an audio comment attached to it, and, and we'll we'll get to those and and talk about whatever you'd like. Uh, I'm open definitely for suggestions. Uh, still, this is only podcast show number five for me, so there's uh, some tweaking to be involved still. And I, I'm really uh, looking forward to hearing from, from everyone listening. The uh, the one thing I wanted to mention before I get too into the, to the show this week, uh, we are doing uh, laundry in my home, and since it's gotten a little bit cooler where I live, at least, the heat is on. So... If there's a little background noise during this episode, uh, or this podcast, I should say, I, I apologize. Hopefully, I'll keep it to a minimum, and if there, if it gets real loud, I will pause the uh, podcast or the recording. So if you do hear a little bit of noises and things in the background, that's what that's all about. And now we're going to talk about uh, some emails that I received. Uh, another one I got from my friend down in Mexico, which I, I actually spoke with him quite a bit on Skype the other evening. Uh, that's my friend Morales. Uh, I want to say hi to you. Uh, I really enjoyed talking. I think we talked the other evening for oh, an hour, hour and a half about Star Trek and science fiction, and it was uh, a lot of fun talking to you about Star Trek and and various books that we've both read. So I want to appreciate that. All right, appreciate that, and just keep listening. And we will talk again on Skype sometime. But I'm glad that you're uh, enjoying the podcast. I got another uh, got another email here from. Kenneth, Kenneth Smith, uh, he also is enjoying the show. He's enjoying the, uh, the the music and the bits that I'm playing from the various Star Trek episodes. And I, I just want to say I, I'm glad that you're liking that. Uh, I, I enjoy going back through the episodes, pulling out little clips and, and audio bits from the shows to uh, include in the podcast. That's a lot of fun. And uh, it's real hard. The hardest thing I'm having or the most difficult thing I'm having you know, problem with is is choosing just 
a few minutes of audio from, from a 45 or so minute uh, Star Trek episode. I mean, some of these classic episodes have so much good dialogue and, and good stuff in them that I, uh, I, I could practically play the whole show and, uh, but I don't want to quite get to that point yet. So, um, but anyway, which is probably a good thing because I think Paramount would, would not really appreciate that. But thanks, Kenneth, for listening. Uh, I'm glad you're enjoying the show also. And I've gotten a few uh, emails and comments from my buddy over at Extra Life. Uh, it's at myextralife.com, uh, a great podcast and forums and, and artwork over there from Scott Johnson. And he's actually sent me a little audio clip this week about my uh, or questions about my favorite Star Trek movies. I'm going to play that audio right now from him, and then I will uh, talk about uh, my answer. Rico, this is Scott Johnson from the Extra Life Radio Show. Hey, uh, I got a quick question for you. I have a certain um, order I like to put the Star Trek films in from my favorite to least favorite, and I was curious what yours was. Mine is currently number one, The Wrath of Khan, number two, Star Trek Nemesis, number three, The Undiscovered Country, number four, First Contact, number five, Insurrection, number six, and then I lose track. But basically the last one in the whole list is uh, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, I believe. That was pretty much a boiling pot of crap. So I'm curious what your favorites are. Maybe your top three or four. And uh, I can't wait to hear your answer. Bye now. Thanks for the uh, for the audio comments, Scott. Um, the The difficult thing I have with choosing you know, one Star Trek movie above the other is, of course, I'm a big Star Trek fan and I, I like them all. Um, I guess if I have to pick an order, I wrote a little something down before uh, I started recording today. I'm a big uh, fan of the original crew, the original series. So those movies, for me at least, will... I, I don't know if I'd like to use the word better, but they, they just... For me, they were a lot more enjoyable to watch. I, I would, if I had to choose which movies I could own and which ones I couldn't, I guess this is the list that I would come up with. Uh, I would put, put of course, uh, Wrath of Khan, Star Trek II at the top of the list. That movie just basically was, in my, in my opinion, uh, perfect. They they just did everything right in that in that movie. The crew and the characters and the actors seemed relaxed. The story was tight. It was well-directed. Just everything really came together in Star Trek II. And the, and the interesting thing I always thought about Star Trek II was just how different it was compared to the first movie, Star Trek, the you know, the motion picture. With, uh, I, I think they tried so hard to do so much in the first movie that it, that it was difficult. I don't want to go into detail because I'm probably going to do a whole show on the movies one, one time in the future. But so I'd put Star Trek II at the top. Then I'd come Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home. I think that was a lot of fun. It was also a movie that appealed to the general public probably more so than any other Star Trek movie has, and maybe ever will. Uh, that's that's the movie that I always will show people if they're not real big Star Trek fans because the, that seems to have a big, big, broad appeal. Star Trek VI, then, for me, comes next, Undiscovered Country, another enjoyable entry. Uh, Star Trek III, then, the, then the motion picture, Star Trek the motion picture. I, I'm having a hard time at this point in the list a little, but I, I'm actually one of the few people or, or maybe... Um, the rarer Star Trek fan that really enjoyed the motion picture, Star Trek the motion picture, mainly because it was the first taste of Star Trek after many, many years being off the air and just being able to watch reruns. So that one kind of holds a special place for me. Then uh, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, 
not uh, not quite as bad, I think, as people make it out to be. But there are some good things in there. I, I do enjoy some of the bits with the campfire scenes with Kirk and, and Spock and McCoy. Then I get into the uh, next-gen movies. I would put First, first Contact uh, at the top of that list. I think that movie was, was also really, really well done. I really enjoyed it. Sorry, I had to had to pause the uh, recording there for a second. So, First Contact, then the uh, Generation show or Star Trek Generations next. Uh, I thought that was a good way to bring Kirk into the into the Next Generation mix. I like the interplay between him and Picard in that movie. Then Nemesis, then Insurrection. Now again, this is it, it's. I don't really the. I enjoy all all of the Star Trek movies, um, probably more so than than a lot of other films. Even the ones that are a little probably clunkier, let's say, or not the scripts weren't as good and so forth. They're just, uh, it's what I like. It's why I'm doing this show. So uh, so there you go, Scott. That's that's my list. Um, not not really definitive and certainly not the same as everyone else perhaps. Or, or But it's, it's just the way I um, picked them off here thinking about it this morning. So, Hi, this is Len from Jawbone Radio. And whenever I need the latest Star Trek or sci-fi news... I listen to my friend Rick on the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast. Hey, do you think he's going to be talking about Wookiees? Because I love Wookiees. Now, next we're going to just talk a little bit about um, science fiction in general. I'm, I'm still trying to get caught up on science fiction shows on TV. I'm up to date on Surface, still liking that show. The uh, I still haven't caught Threshold and I've kind of given up on Invasion of the of I guess the three shows. Don't like Kolshak, the new show. What else is on? I guess that's about it. Lost. I'm enjoying. It's it's sort of I guess science fiction in a way, but um, that that's still an interesting and good show. But that's that's what I'm watching right now. Battlestar Galactica and the other uh, sci-fi channel uh, science fiction shows are sort of on a hiatus until January. So when those pick up again, I might talk about those a little bit more. But Still, we're going to get into the uh, the main topic for this week's show, which is the original series, first season, Star Trek episode, Errand of Mercy. Now, this episode, Errand of Mercy, was one of the later episodes in the first season. It is, or was, written by Gene Kuhn, who worked a lot on the original Star Trek series as a writer, um, producer, and so forth. And this episode brings two big uh, sort of characters or two big things into the Star Trek universe that had never been seen before. One is, of course, the Klingons, and the other is the Organians. But before I get too much into the episode, let's play the the preview, the little trailer like I usually have been playing for Errand of Mercy. Here it comes. Captain's Log, Stardate 3198.4. We have reached Organia and established standard orbit. No signs of hostile activities in this area. Thank you for your altruistic offer, Captain. We offer you protection. We assure you that we are in absolutely no danger. Out of the way, Organian. Should one Klingon soldier be killed, a thousand Organians will die. What are the odds now? Less than 7,000 to one, Captain. than 7,000 to 1. Well, getting better. Getting better. It has begun. (laughs) 
Now, for uh, for most of you, again, I'm assuming most people that are listening to this podcast have seen the, the, this episode, Errand of Mercy, but I will give you the, the sort of brief synopsis uh, of the episode. Basically, this episode starts out on the Enterprise. Kirk receives orders or notification from Starfleet that negotiations with the Klingon Empire have broken down, and they're basically at a state of war at this point. There is a planet that is in a strategic location for both the Klingons and the Federation. You know, basically, some territory is being disputed out there, and or this planet that the, the Kirk and crew and and I guess even the Klingons they all call it Organia. But this planet is a strategic planet, a strategic location. So Kirk and Spock end up going to the planet to try to warn the Organians, try to get them to sort of fallen under the Federation's protection and banner, so to speak, with, you know, try to beat the Klingons to the planet, basically. And things go a little strange when, when they get there. Uh, Kirk, Spock, uh, they find the planet very odd. They're not really, these people seem very primitive. They are not very surprised, given the fact that they're they appear to be a primitive people. They don't seem very surprised by the fact that, you know, Kirk and Spock beam down, they're in these strange clothes, and they seem to have technology and things and talk about stuff that, that the Organians, you know, shouldn't really be familiar with and should be basically shocked, surprised, maybe scared even. You know, Kirk would, they mentioned that a few times in the show, but I, I, th- I think I'm getting a little deeper than I wanted to. I just wanted to give you a basic idea. The So the episode is basically more or less a war story, along with a underlying thing of someone caught in the middle of a war, which is the Organians and the planet Organia. Kirk, Spock go there. They try to negotiate with them, and things go a little strange. The Klingons show up, and then things get even stranger. But what I'm going to do now is I'm going to play one more uh, clip. I have about, I guess i got about five or six clips for this show that I want to play. The next clip, getting into the episode a little bit deeper... Here's Kirk explaining to the Organians what the situation is. With the Federation, you have a choice. You have none with the Klingons. The Klingons are a military dictatorship. War is their way of life. Life under the Klingon rule would be very unpleasant. We offer you protection. We thank you for your altruistic offer, Captain. But we really do not need your protection. We are a simple people, Captain. We have nothing that anybody could want. We have this planet and its strategic location. I assure you that if you don't take action to prevent it, the Klingons will move against you just as surely as your sun rises. We will help you build defenses, build facilities. We have no defenses, Captain, nor are any needed. You can hear uh, Kirk being kind of frustrated there, not understanding why the Organians are are just not really paying much attention to what he has to say. I mean, they they don't seem bothered at all. They sort of all smile, and they just, yeah, 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 all right, whatever you say, Captain. You know, it's like they, they just don't care, and he doesn't quite fathom this. He doesn't understand. You know, Kirk's all like about action and take care of business, but the Organians to him are just... They're like little ants, or, well, ants isn't maybe the right word, but they're like little sheep to him, and, and he does. he's afraid, and he's afraid that they're not responding the way they need to be about this crisis that's about to fall down upon them, which is frustrating for him, again, because he, he likes to take care of business. The uh, 
what happens basically next is they they don't really they're not able to convince the Organians to to join up with them and things move pretty quickly at that point and then the Klingons show up. It's a little uh, hard to tell in the episode exactly what happened to the Enterprise. Um, how did the Klingons just sort of slip down to Organia, you know, so easily? Um, and that, I, I guess, the way I, I read it is that the Enterprise with Sulu in command sort of slipped away from the planet a little bit. They dropped him off, and then they met up with the fleet. But when Kirk leaves the Enterprise, he gives different kind of orders to Sulu that if the Klingon Empire shows up or the fleet shows up, that they're to get out of there and warn the fleet. So that part there's some things in this episode that don't quite add up which you know that's probably true just about ever of all the episodes but anyway really really getting off to the side there that's not really an important part not really part of the main storyline the main storyline is kirk spock the organians and the klingons on organia now of course even kirk's unable to um, convince the organians of the situation or, or make them really respond to it so at that point, the Klingons show up, and the Klingon commander, the, probably one of the most wonderful, best parts of the show, this episode, is John Cochleus. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name properly. He is the actor that plays Kor, Commander Kor, the leader of the Klingon army or whatever you, regiment or whatever it happens to be called, that shows up on Organia. Now, he was earmarked and set up to be basically Kirk's opposite his nemesis so to speak although until i think a um yeah deep space nine episode way 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 down the in the future picked up on the core character and he appears in that episode or i think two believe i believe two deep space nine episodes in the future but he never really shows up again in the original three seasons of the original star trek show which is kind of a shame because i thought he just does an amazing job he's smart he's He's kind of witty in a way. He is ruthless. He he just has the right knack for being a bad guy in this show. But he's also somebody who you can kind of respect in a way. He has his agenda. He, he has what he believes in, where Kirk, of course, has the Federation and what he believes in. And both sides, you know, they, they believe in what they're doing, which is he's just not a cardboard cutout kind of character he isn't just power crazy exactly well core is a little i guess in a way but he is doing what he believes in he is a military man he believes in the klingon empire and the klingon way of life and basically they want the the rest of the planets in the universe to to fall under that belief and and situation so the next clip i want to play is where kirk uh kirk has a little meeting or meets up with core for the first time now in the episode uh, Spock and Kirk kind of go into disguise. When the Klingons show up, the Organians say, "Hey, you know, you you got you can't look like that. They're going to know who you are. Let's let's put some little you know old clothes, clothes like we wear on, and we'll have you sort of slip into the population." Which which I thought was just a brilliant idea. I I love this part and the way they do this part of the episode because what's 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 fun about it, what's neat about it, is the Organians are this peace loving. They're all smiling all the time. And Kirk and Spot, they just don't, especially Kirk, really. You know, Spock's basically pretty neutral, but Kirk just does not fit into that uh, mold very well. And, and this exchange, you'll uh, you, you'll hear a little bit about that coming out. Oh, he is Barona, one of our leading citizens. And he has no tongue? 
I have a tongue. Good. You will be taught how to use it. Where is your smile? My what? The stupid, idiotic smile everyone else seems to be wearing. A Vulcan. Do you also have a tongue? I am Spock, a dealer in Kivas and Trillium. You do not look like a storekeeper. Take this man. Vulcans are members of the Federation. He may be a spy. He's no spy. Well, have we a ram among the sheep? You object to us taking him? He's done nothing. Nothing at all. Coming from an Organian, yours is practically an act of rebellion. Very good. So you welcome me. You also welcome me. You're here. There's nothing I can do about it. I enjoy that uh, that section of the episode, that part uh, with Kirk and Kor, and there's a little bit more of that in the in the show also. A, a few other points where he brings Kirk in, Kor does, to talk to him individually because he thinks he's he's the guy that can sort of get the Organians to go along with things. So so Kor makes him kind of his point man and and gets gets him to uh, or tries to convince him that they need to go along with the Klingons or, or bad things are going to start to happen. The um, the exchange there is 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 real interesting, and and you can see Kirk having a hard time, just kind of holding his tongue basically, and I really enjoy it. the The thing this part of the episode or this episode reminds me, the way it turns out, is the movie Witness from many years ago with Harrison Ford, where Harrison Ford's this policeman, you know, kind of a man of action, a lot pretty Kirk like actually, in the beginning part, but to investigate a murder, he ends up on this Amish farm. And he wears Amish clothes, and he tries to blend in. And there's a lot of uh, comparisons and things that are the same in both these situations. You know, Kirk trying to appear like these peace-loving Organians, and Harrison Ford in the movie Witness also trying to blend in and look like the Amish. And of course, both these situations they uh, they last for a little while, but eventually that your your true uh, true character will come out and you really can't hide from from who you are which is uh you know you can kind of well, there's some kind of phrase you can take the something out of the country but the uh guy out of the country but the country not out of the man i don't know how that phrase goes right now too early in the morning i think but anyway the next the next little bar, part leading into this what i've been talking about will have uh where kirk's identity is revealed that he's not an organian that he is something different there's no need to use your machine on him commander i can tell you his name it is captain james t kirk elborn what captain of the uss enterprise a starship commander and his first officer hmm. i had hoped to meet you in battle but some reason he feels that he must destroy you, Commander. Just as you feel you must destroy him. That's going to be rather difficult now. Isn't it, Captain? 
Now, of course, uh, Captain Kirk is not too pleased with the Organians at this point. He feels like he's been betrayed. He was there. He got there to try to help them. Kirk and Spock went there to try to make it so that they wouldn't, you know, the Klingons wouldn't take control of this planet and, and subjugate the, the Organians under their rule because he explains that would not be a very pleasant situation for for the Organians to be uh, basically slaves to the Klingon. Now, the Klingons are... It's amazing to me how, how much in this episode that the Klingons, both their their culture, their species, is very uh, it's it's very well defined. Their their you know core appears to look a lot like a Genghis Khan character. The, these the Klingons are a tribal uh, kind of ruthless race who conquer civilizations. They don't make peaceful little talks and have nice little situations with peace treaties and have you know, the the different planets that they visit fall into the Federation like the Federation does, where we basically, or we, I think I said, the Federation forms alliances with these places, whereas the the Klingons just take them over. You know, the, the, we're going we're gonna to wipe you out. And, you know, in the 1960s when Star Trek was on, you had the, the you know, the, the Cold War, you had Vietnam... You had a lot of similarities, and it's been said time and time again, and this probably won't come much of a surprise to people that are familiar with Star Trek and, and know Gene Roddenberry's work in it, that he tried to, he used Star Trek as a vehicle to make commentary on, you know, public events, current things that were going on in the world. And this is kind of, in a way, um, I, I don't want to call it exactly Gene Roddenberry's anti-war episode, but by the end of it... It's apparent that you know Gene. Gene really believes strongly that it's the whole thing is silly to to fight and try to resolve differences by having armies attack each other, whether they're armies on horseback, armies in starships, whatever it is, is is ridiculous. You know, man is smarter than that. Man needs to try harder than that. That fighting is not the answer that is just it is not the way to do things it is not a civilized that is not an advanced civilized way to solve differences now i'm not going to get into any of my really you know beliefs on those topics and that let's just say that i'm i'm pretty much with gene roddenberry on on those thoughts and ideas and it's not really pacifism or passive you know it's it's not really that it's just there is a better way and you need to find that better way. But I'm, again, like I think I did last week's show, getting off into a tangent, but, I, you know, that I'm enjoying doing that. That's that's what these shows mean to me. That's what it comes, you know, to my mind when I see them now. You know, when I was growing up and watching them, those ideas, yeah, they were there a little bit, but now as I'm a little bit older, I see that there's a lot more depth, a lot more in these shows as you go back and, and see them now than maybe you see at first glance. And I think that's one of the things, for me at least, that makes the classic shows so interesting and so good and so timeless compared to some of the future or the later Enterprise, or sorry, um, Star Trek series. You know, I've, I've mentioned before I've enjoyed those. Those are good, but and they had quite a few episodes that really had some deep meaning to them. And you can't, you know, it's hard to do a morality play or a deep meaning episode every week, but... Um, Especially after seven, eight hundred episodes of Star Trek being out there, the um, the but again, 
the the thing that really tickles me, I guess, and and I, and I enjoy so much about the original shows is that almost every episode there was something in there like this. It, it's um, it, it really, really is is timeless, and I can see why these episodes have held up the way they have over time. Okay, enough of that tangent. So Kirk's identity has been revealed, and now they go. Kirk and Spock kind of go off on a little like demolition you know deal they they decide well if the organians aren't going to do anything they're stuck on the planet they can't get a hold of the enterprise their um his identity's revealed the phasers communicators i think have been taken they're imprisoned by the klingons the organians let them out but then they decide to, to go after the klingons and destroy some supplies and things like that and so time goes on in the episode Kirk and Spock aren't, you know, they're making a little headway, but the Organians don't want to help them. No, they're not they're not participating in any of this, and, and again, Kirk doesn't understand it. Well, then Kor starts to play the sort of terrorism, you know, card of, they round up a bunch of Organians, the Klingons do, and they apparently you don't see it happen on camera, but you hear uh, Klingon disruptor fire, and it, Kor mentions or, or says to everyone that there's 200, 200 Klingons, 200, sorry, Organians have been shot down by Klingons, and the 200 more in an hour will be killed if they don't give up Kirk and Spock. And the Organians are still sitting there, and they're smiling away, and la 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 la. We're in Candyland here, Captain Kirk, and we're just not going to pay much attention. And Kirk just really just can't stand this. He just doesn't understand what is your deal, people. So. It slowly becomes apparent, though, that there's something more going on. And, oh, I want to mention something else before I get to the to the sort of finish of the, this episode. There's a device that's mentioned in this episode that I wanted to talk about a little bit. They call it a mind scanner or a mind sifter. It's a device that Klingons have invented to basically scan uh, and probe people's or, you know, humanoid minds in order to basically read their thoughts. He's trying to get information at one point in the show from both Spock and Kirk. First, they do try this. You don't, again, see it. They don't show it. They talk about it. But they try this mind sifter scanner on Mr. Spock. And, of course, you know, Mr. Spock, he's he's Vulcan. He's like, you know, hey, get, go ahead. Try your little tricks and toys on me. It won't work, of course, which comes into play in a lot of Star Trek episodes. You know, I'm Vulcan. I'm immune to that. Of course, he's not immune to that seven-year itch thing. But, um, yeah, he's uh, the mind scanner, Spock explains to Kirk, uh, is, is a deep probe to the mind. But the the, the uh, Vulcans, since their minds are very disciplined through the, you know, controlling their emotions, he has the ability to to block the scanner. And Core even mentions to Kirk at one point in the show that he's gonna, you know, I think I'll have Mister Spock killed, and we'll dissect him and try to figure out maybe, or try to figure out why this is true. The reason I bring all this up because you know, Core says he's going to use this little mind scanner deal sifter on on Kirk because Kirk, of course, won't tell him anything about you know, where the fleet of the Federation is at, what their plans are, all the details, you know, all those military things. Kor says he's going to use this device on Captain Kirk, and he says it will leave you, you know, in a, in a vegetative state, and, and you're, there won't be much of your mind left once we probe it with this machine. The thing I wanted to mention is there's, an, there's a Star Trek book. They, they've put out over the years many Star Trek books, uh, well, many Star Trek books, but there is a series of books that they've done I can't get you the title right off the top of my head, but you could find out. It's an older book. I think it was called Star Trek New Voyages. 
it may have been uh, and I will try to find the book it's on my shelf and I will put it in the, the show notes for this show but there is an older book that has uh, Star Trek short stories in it written by fans and various people and there is one story in this book called the mind sifter or mind scanner I'm not sure if that was the title of the episode or the story I read this many years ago so I'm going by my by limited memory for the morning of today but anyway there is a story in here of of kirk being captured and being this mind scanner eventually in the future being used on him and it's a really really interesting and good story because it involves even more than that kirk ends up in the past also i think it's the guardian of forever that's used and he's sent in the past and his mind is just a jumble he barely remembers who he is what's going on he doesn't remember his friends but the, the fun thing about this story is it it's like a, that book of mice and men kirk ends up uh he he doesn't really remember things he doesn't know who he is and all that but his basic character in this story that's written comes out like there's a scene where a woman's being like you know attacked or something like that in an alleyway and Kirk comes to a rescue, of course. He's Kirk. He, he's he's a, just a natural hero, and he can't stand to sit by while somebody's being taken advantage of or abused or some you know something like that would be taking place. Um, I don't want to give too much more away. I will dig that book up, though, and the, the exact story and, and title of the book and put it in the show notes. So, But that's, that's what I wanted to mention about the Mind Sifter. Back to Errand of Mercy. The Organians now are... They've gotten to the point in the episode, and the situation has gotten to the point where the two fleets, the fleet of the Klingon Empire and the, and the Federation fleet, you only really see the bridge of the Enterprise with Sulu in command, are about to go at it. You know, they, they simplify things to the point where there's, the, you know, these two huge fleets coming at each other. They, they have the Organians the, and Kirk Spock and the Klingons on the, the planet. All, it's, it's all sort of coming to a head after 40 minutes of this, this one episode. They don't have years of fighting and years of battling. Well, the Organians at this point, they're stuck. They don't really want to interfere, but they are going to stop this situation. They they can't allow it to continue, so they put a stop to it. And let's listen how that goes. We have put a stop to your violence. You are stopping this? You? All instruments of violence on this planet... Now radiate a temperature of 350 degrees. They are inoperative. My fleet. The same conditions exist on both the star fleets. There will be no battle. Ridiculous. I suggest you contact them. You too, Captain. Your ship is now within range of your communications device. Kirk's Enterprise, come in. Captain, I can't explain it. We were just closing in on the Klingon fleet when... Every control on our ship became too hot to handle. Our power is gone. Our phaser banks are dead. Stand by, Salute. I like that. Uh, I like that part. It's they really, you know, with the, the the Federation and Starfleet, they form and have their own non-interference situations, basically unless there's no other choice or some real danger is present or whatever, they, they generally try to stay out of the affairs of, of other species and races and aliens out there. So the Organians are even more so probably. They, they don't even ever really, well, they don't appear to leave their own little area, leave their planet. Although with the 
you know, there are these super advanced energy type beings that are only in our organic and human like form for sort of the the benefit of Kirk and Spock and the Klingons and, and the benefit of 1960s television, basically. But uh, it's very distasteful and difficult for them to even deal with, with such lesser life forms. It's like, you know, us sort of making small talk with ants. I mean, it, it just, it's, it's hard for them to do. So they, they stop the war. They, they stop what's going to happen, and that's that. Now there's a, a, another um, really, really good exchange for me, and I think this is a little bit of a longer audio clip of of Kirk's reaction and Cora's reaction to this whole situation. And it really brings everything I was saying about, you know, there's better ways to deal with these situations than fighting it out to a head in this episode. So let's listen to that clip now. Even if you have some power that we don't understand, you have no right to dictate to our Federation or our empire how to handle their interstellar relations. We have the right to wage war, Captain to kill millions of innocent people, to destroy life on a planetary scale. Is that what you're defending? Well, no one wants war. But there are proper channels. People have a right to handle their own affairs. Eventually, we will. Oh, eventually you will have peace only after millions of people have died. It is true that in the future, you and the Klingons will become fast friends. You will work together. Never. Your emotions are most discordant. We do not wish to seem inhospitable, but gentlemen, you must leave. Yes, please leave us. The mere presence of beings like yourselves is intensely painful to us. What do you mean, beings like yourselves? Millions of years ago, Captain, we were humanoid like yourselves. But we have developed beyond the need of physical bodies. Yeah, that's a good little section there. And I've just realized it's about a half hour or more of the show, and I haven't taken a break at all. So we will finish the episode, and then I'm going to take a little bit of a break because there's not much more. The next uh, last little bit that I want to mention, so so that, that last exchange is, is really good. I, I like the uh, the reaction to them to what's happened and this episode basically creates what's known as uh in star trek lore the organian peace treaty it there are little incidents with the klingons overall but it, it creates a treaty and and in a situation where the klingons and the federation cannot just have an all-out war there's incursions and little things that happen but basically they are you know, like Russia and the United States, there's there's an unfriendly sort of peace that's formed. Or Russia and the United States, I should say, back back uh, during the Cold War and the end of that situation. So they have the Organian Peace Treaty now. But I want to play one last little clip, then I will come back. But this last clip is just Core and um, what they uh, Core and Kirk talking about the very end at the very end of the situation. Well, Commander, I guess that takes care of the war. Obviously, the Arganians aren't going to let us fight. A shame, Captain. It would have been glorious. Yeah, I love that uh, 
uh, you know, John Cocleus is, is, is just great in this show. He's, he's a wonderful actor. I believe, unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago. So that's, that's kind of sad. A lot of the original um, people that have been on Star Trek, you know, Scotty passed away this year, um, James Doohan, and a wonderful guy. Uh, I was, I've been at a few conventions when he was there. Really, really wonderful guy, and uh, they're going to be all missed. So that's, um, that's my take on Errand of Mercy, a, a, a great show, brings in the Klingons, and it's, it's a lot of fun stuff. Oh, I was going to talk a little bit about the look of the Klingons versus the way they look later in the next generation, but we're going to leave that for another time because I've babbled on enough. So going to take a quick break here, and then we're going to be back with my look and review of the Master Replicas original series, Tricorder. Back soon. Hey, everyone. This is Scott Johnson from the Extra Life Radio Show. You're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi with my friend Rico. Okay, I'm back now. I um, This week, Replica that I'm going to talk about, Collectible Replica, is also another piece for Master Replicas, which I've discussed in the past, uh, their communicator that they came out with. This is one of the other of the three main, and I'll be talking about the phaser in a future show, of the three main pieces of landing party equipment for the original Star Trek series that they have produced this is the tricorder, you know, the one that Mr. Spock or sometimes Dr. McCoy would carry one around. This is basically a science tricorder. It's described as for master replicas. The um, the piece is, uh, it came out in, I believe the first ones were released in late 2004. Um, they may be sold out now on master replicas site, I believe, so I will have to check on that. Actually, I'm going to pause it and I'm going to check real quick. Well, of course, I was not correct. It was there. Are, they do still have some in stock on the Master Replicas, and there are links to to Master Replicas on my previous show notes. I'll probably put another one in this show note, but if I don't, you can find it pretty easily. They're still for sale. They're three forty nine uh, on the Master Replicas site, and this is a great, great collectible for Star Trek fans. This piece is. It's probably, well, maybe with the exception of the phaser, which was pretty involved also, but this has probably got the most electronic and a, a lot of uh, extra little bells and whistles than most of the other prop replicas that are out there. Now, last week I talked about the Roddenberry.com kit that I put together a couple of years back. That kit is is also a nice tricorder when you're finished with it. Obviously, it takes a little more work because you have to put it together. But this Master Replicas piece, you can have a brand new, you know, or a working, well, working as in there's little lights and sound effects like I'll play here. I'm holding it. It makes the classic uh, tricorder, tricorder type sound, which uh, was, was used quite a bit in the original series. It has a couple of doors that open. The basic shell, let's just go through this a little bit, is made out of a really heavy-duty type uh, textured plastic material looks very much like what the original tricorders looked like on the show. I've read some articles about some of the surviving pieces of this. I think there's only a couple out there that have survived. 
but the shell is just really, really solid. It's, it looks good. It's not too shiny. It's not too dull-looking. It has the right, a right you know, kind of texture feel to it. It's a nice, solid piece. This, this tricorder is actually amazingly heavy. I don't know exactly what it weighs. Maybe about a, I'd say maybe about a pound or so with, with batteries in it. I believe it takes a, like three or four AA batteries. I'd have to open it up in the back to take a look, but that's, that's not a big deal. It doesn't take anything unusual because it's a large piece, so they can fit, um, fit AA batteries in. Let's talk about a few of the functions. It has a, a nice pleather leather type strap on it, which which is which is really good. There was a little question when this piece first came out whether it would have a strap or not, but it has a nice strap. So if you were going to use this at some convention or wear it somehow at a costume competition or situation, it would look good because it's got a strap. It has three light functions on the on the head of the um, the top opening head of the tricorder there are three little blue LED lights that light up with different functions the first one makes the the tricorder sound the next one there is a moving moir which is a, a couple of circular discs this is the same kind of effect that's on the the communicator piece this uh, area on the when the door of the tricorder opens the middle door opens you'll see this on the pictures there's a couple of patterns that that rotate basically opposite each other and they create this neat effect it was seen on on spock's bridge station on the bridge of the enterprise also the little discs there's a little metal disc area also on to the left of that area now the idea with these if you read some of the tech manuals and things that were printed and written for star trek these were supposed to be sort of computer discs the interesting thing is is they're about the size of these don't individually come out it's one solid piece but these things are roughly the idea or the size of sort of flash memory little USB sticks that they buy or you, that they sell and you can buy these days. And the idea here, they never really showed this in the in the show, but was that these individual disks would hold, you know, so much data on them and you could pull them out and use these in, in memory reader devices that would, you know, you could transfer data from your tricorder to the computer on the Enterprise and so forth. So again, back in the 1960s, before PCs, before a lot of things, communicators look like a lot like the typical cell phones these days, and tricorders have functions like PDAs and um, USB memory sticks that are out there commonly these days. I, I I get the feeling sometimes that there's a lot of people that are creating this tech the, that's out there for computers that are Star Trek fans and got a lot of ideas, whether consciously or unconscious or subconscious or whatever, from watching old episodes like this. And it's it's logical. I mean, it just makes sense. Now, the function of the tricorder on the show was basically to do whatever they needed to do for the week, whether it was search for alien life forms or find, you know, minerals on a planet or whatever it was, or just read data. It was it was an all-purpose device. Um, so let's see. The, in the, the last function is the, the neat thing about the, the Master Replicas tricorder is it has a light-up display. Now, if you look at the pictures, the the display on this, on the show it had sort of a bluish-gray kind of look, and if you look at the pictures from the tricorder I created from the Roddenberry.com kit, yeah, the screen on the head that opens up is a bluish-gray color. The screen on the Master Replicas item is a, is a blackened area, a dark area. 
And part of the reason for that, even though it doesn't quite look maybe quite as accurate as it did on the show, was that they have a display of when you push the the third button on the top, they have a display that lights up on that screen. And I think you can see that in one of the photos that I put on the website. There's a graphic there that says Starfleet Base Cestus 3, which is... Um, Cestus 3 was the planet that was used in the episode Arena, which was where Kirk fought that Gorn, you know, in the rubber reptile suit. Another good episode, actually. The suit, so-so, but the episode was good, and I'll probably use that one in the future and talk about it. But this has a... Uh, a display here on the on the open up head and it has some flashing little uh red lights little leds that blink on it and it's it's pretty cool it it's you know it would have been great sure if it had a video display like a psp or something like that or the new um ipods that they just came out with it's about that screen size but hey you're talking about a a lot more money for something like that maybe that would be done someday you know maybe that'll be like an elite version of the master replicas tricorder at some point in time but i wouldn't hold my breath that would be quite expensive pretty complex and for a prop replica you know this is something basically for you to display some people might use them for costuming and that but it's not really something you're going to throw in your car and you know watch videos on or whatever so it's it would sort of really be if they threw all that stuff in there it would be kind of overkill and it would never really be used i certainly wouldn't take a multi you know at that point, it would probably be pushing a $1,000 replica or something out there and throw it in my car. It's bad enough when I sometimes carry around my iPod. I'm worried about losing that or having somebody take it or something out of my car. But So anyway, Master Replicas, Science Tricorder, original series, Star Trek piece. Great piece. If you're at all into this kind of thing and replicas, I highly, highly recommend it. It's very solidly built. It took a little while for them to get this piece perfected. It was delayed in when it first came out quite a, quite a bit. But the weight was worth it. They did a great job. The metal pieces are metal. It's all brushed aluminum type pieces where it needs to be. The, the little buttons on a lot of these Star Trek pieces, here's a little tidbit for people that might not know, but the little buttons that are on the tricorder and the communicator pieces were originally back in in that era when these props were first created were were HO uh, wheels for HO cars that that they found you know they they used a lot of whatever they could find laying around to make these replicas and that was what they used for the buttons on them and they replicated those really nicely on this uh, this commun or sorry communicator this tricorder and they did a great job the bottom door opens you have access to an on off switch inside the bottom door. And it's just a wonderful, uh, wonderful, wonderful replica. I, I really, really enjoy it. I mean, I I remember back when I was growing up, and, and to have the kind of replica and pieces that they have now uh, back then was would have been amazing. Of course, I have a bit more money to buy these kind of things now than I, I did back then. I may, I built stuff out of cardboard and whatever else I could find back then for tricorders and phasers and stuff to play around with and have fun. And spent a lot of time looking at old books and trying and pictures and trying to create my own. But now to have these kind of things, when I, when that's what I started off with or what that was available back then, is very very cool. I really really like it, and it's 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 great. So take a look at the website. Take a look at the item if you don't have it. Try to get one before they're gone because I really don't think I was surprised that they still had some for sale. I I don't think that's going to last much longer. <laughs> All right, well, I think that's going to get pretty close to wrapping it up for this week. 
I'm just going to throw in the usual business items. Uh, this is your friend uh, Rick Dosti Rico of the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. The website again is www.treksf.com. Uh, Gmail, if you want to shoot me a Gmail, I'm at treksf at gmail.com. I'm on Skype, although it's not usually on on my computer quite often. I, I tend to only turn it on when I'm talking to someone. Uh, but that's uh, TrekSF is my handle on Skype. Uh, send me a little message on there if you want to talk sometime. I'd really, really enjoy it. Like I talked with uh, Morales the other day in Mexico City. And I think that's about all the housekeeping. Well, one last thing I wanted to mention this week, and I talked about it a little bit earlier on the show, is about audio comments and, and hooking those to email and sending them to me. Next week's episode or next week's podcast, I'm going to be talking about the original series episode, The Naked Time which was one of the very early episodes uh, that was um, a very, very good show, showed a lot about the characters. So next week's show about the Naked Time, I would like if anyone feels like it or anyone has the time and throw, a, you know, you've got a microphone on your computer, please uh, send me your take or your comments and, you know, don't make them too long or else I'll have to do some heavy editing, maybe a, maybe a minute or so. But what you think about the episode, The Naked Time, what you like, what you don't like, um, your thoughts on the episode in a, in a short little bit, and I will play those on next week's podcast. I'm going to try to do this each week. If you want to tell me what you think about the, the upcoming show, and then when I when I pull all that stuff together next weekend and do it, I can put those in the show. So to start with, for this next week's show, The Naked Time, send me your, your comments on the episode, what you think about it. That uh, that being said, also next week's collectible review is going to be a little different. It's going to be uh, the review or a discussion, more or less, of the Spock bridge panel. And I do have a couple of photos of that up in my collection on the website. I, I put a couple more new things up, and you can see that. But that's something I built quite a long time ago. That's a whole completely home-built situation, project, kit, deal, so... That I'm going to talk about quite a bit next week and tell you what I did and how I did it and just how much fun and how much I learned about electronics and how many fuses I blew out when I was 15 years old building that thing. So anyway, that's next week's show. I really appreciate everyone listening. Please send me any feedback that you'd like. And that's about it. This is Rico signing off. Take care, everyone. Have a great week. Talk to you next weekend. Bye-bye. This has been a Rick Dosti production. <laughs>